Welcome, everybody. This is the Sports Rivals, and I'm Gary Thorne. Our purpose here, we try to preserve the memories of some of the classic sports rivalries through the words of those who participated in them. These are the rivalries you get to hear from the inside out. And when we talk about the inside and what goes on in sports, we've got two guests today who have had a, a long history of know, knowing what goes on inside the games. The PR people who serve all the uh, professional sports teams are involved in a massive effort on behalf of the organization they work for to deal not only with the press, they also have to deal with the players on a daily, regular basis all season long. They are involved, of course, with the owners of the ball club who have their own perspective that they want to see put out. And they're involved in other PR departments whom they rely on to get information in order to go forward with the games that are part of a season. Today, we've got two of the best in the business, and they have been there a long time. Jay Horowitz has been uh, with the New York Mets since 1980. He uh, was the vice president of media relations for 39 years before moving on to a position of vice president of alumni relations and the historian for the Mets at the current time. 40 years plus with one organization in the business of public relations and sports is unheard of, absolutely unheard of. And the fact that Jay has done this is one of the amazing accomplishments that he has had in, of all places, New York, with an organization, the Mets, who certainly have had their ups and downs and a whole lot of press coverage that Jay's been involved with. He's also the author of a new book, just came out this month, entitled Mr. Met. I can't imagine a better title for a book or a better person to talk about the history of the Mets than Jay Horowitz. And Mike Swanson, he is the Vice President of Communications and Broadcasting with the Kansas City Royals. He has had similar positions with Arizona, where he was for nine years, the Padres for seven, Colorado back in 1992. Mike is from Kansas City. He returned back home to work there with the Royals in 2007, back to his hometown. In addition, I've had the uh, great opportunity and pleasure to be able to work with him in another area, which is providing stats for those of us who are doing games of every kind. Mike has been a person working in the booth in all kinds of major events from the Final Four to Super Bowls, all kinds of college bowl games, college basketball and football games. He's been a tremendous stat person, tremendous help over the years for those of us in the broadcasting business. So with that, we welcome Jay Horowitz, Mike Swanson. And Mike, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start with you while we talk about rivalries, and in, in some sense it is with PR departments, there's also a great deal of communication and cooperation that has to go on. Can you talk a bit about what it's like dealing with other public relations departments and sports? Well, yeah, Gary, and thanks for the kind words. Uh, I can't believe you're letting me go first with the guy like Jay on board here. And That's why you go on first. And a, and a <laughs> steam, but yeah, I'm going to get my words in now, I guess, and then we'll let him carry it. Uh, you know, and and with Jay on this uh, in this conversation, it's it's very easy um, to use his group as an example. I mean, in as much as all the years I was over in the National League, and I was 23 of them. Um, Going to New York, uh, there's some times you go to a city and you, and I won't name clubs' names, but you you know what information you're going to get and how much help you're going to get in certain scopes of the uh, position. 
when you went to New York, uh, you, you knew that you were going to get a first-class treatment, first-class operation. Uh, Jay's always been at the top of his game. Uh, he had a phenomenal staff uh, uh, in the PR department. Uh, and, and we always knew, and, and you know, you're talking to two people here who used to type game notes on a, on a typewriter. And I know there will pe- there are people who will listen to this podcast and go, excuse me, I have to Google the word typewriter. What the hell is a typewriter? And, uh, and, and the fact that, you know, we'd bring in our game notes. And one of the things I enjoyed probably more than anything in the game back in the day before electronic game notes was uh, walking into the home club's PR department or when a visiting club came to my park and then dropping off their notes and us getting to spend 10 or 15 minutes just to shoot the breeze and compare notes and talk about the day in our game and, and the players in our game and, you know, the media and people who have righted this, people who have wronged us and, you know, compare notes. And it, it was one part of the game that I think, quite frankly, is, is missing now. Uh, some of the interactions are so dry and so cold because we do everything electronically. Uh, you know, I'm seeing members of uh, our media now, or not our media, but of PR <clears throat> around baseball on Zoom calls. Now I'm interacting with PR people more in the last two months than I have uh, when I'm actually in their ballpark because we may sit at opposite ends of the spectrum in the ballpark. Uh, this whole, uh, you, you know, you're talking to Fred Flintstone here, the dinosaur of all dinosaurs, and you got Barney Rubble on the other end of this call. And, uh, and, and we, uh, you know, we do everything on our computers uh, and, and there's no personalization to it. And that's one thing I miss because being one of the veterans in the game, we had the opportunity to be personable and personal. And, uh, you know, I depended a lot on those home clubs and I know they depended a lot on us when they came, you know, when in the advent of clip packages, you know, there, there was a day we just played the game of baseball, did our stats, did our game notes and scored, you know, did the scorebook and went back to the hotel. And if there happened to be a lounge or something in the hotel, uh, sure enough, we'd find a place and uh, sit down and, and have a couple. Those days have changed exponentially. And in the advent of clip packages, because everybody wants to read what's everybody's writing. I, I've had uh, managers who actually wanted to grade the clip packages, you know, and let the writers know what they may have done wrong or said wrong uh, in, the, in the paper. Um, in all those, now that we're in doing it uh, via email, it's kind of taking a lot of the personalization out of it. And I miss that part of the game. Jay, how about you? Relationships over the years with PR departments around baseball? Yeah, I was big on that. Like, uh, I, when, I, when I first started in 1980, I, I used to go like through nine bottles of white out each time you could type my notes, Gary. It wasn't <laughs> like my, my forte. But it was a great, you, you go to your sit type notes, go BS with the guys like, you know, Buck Pete and Ned Kelly and Ed Wade. Matter of fact, with Ed Wade, before we became GM, his first day on the job as a PR guy with the Pirates, he came to New York and I lost his press notes. I know it's hard to believe. So his first game, he had no press notes, but it's really changed through the years. I mean, everything's done by email or this or that. And I used to, you know, like Swanee said, go there, BS with the people, know the people in the other parts of the department. And now it's all email, very little contact. And that's kind of stuff that I missed. And, you know, having chances in BS with the people. The one person up with Swanee, one thing I think with Mike, we'll always go back to uh, seventh game of the World Series in 2001. I was working for MLB at the time. But I'm in the, in the back of the Arizona comp, uh, uh, dugout. Louis Gonzalez is up in place. I'm sitting with him. I said, 
Can I say to some please dear God, beat the Yankees. Thank God. Louis Gonzalez got a hit. The Yankees won. It was really extremely exciting for me to see Swanee's excitement go on the field and, and celebrate. There's one of the, my fond memories would be with Swanee, a longtime friend. Uh, that's all nice. I, did you get the ring? Because I know you wanted to beat the Yankees just as badly as I wanted to that night. That was crazy. The ball just go over the shortstop's head and, uh, you know, with Mariano pitch. I just think there's a chance in the world you're going to win that game, Mike, to be honest with you. With, but but he, you found a way, and uh, it was it was exciting. As a National League fan, I was happy you guys won. And happy for hey, Bob Reynolds, who was right next to him the whole time. Hey, you mentioned the whiteout. I, I do have a question for you over the years because there was a rumor going on. Did, are you the only guy who ever put whiteout on a computer screen? <laughs> I put it all over. My, I mean, all of it was on my hands, my glasses, my clothes, <laughs> my bag. We used to travel on the plane. Johnny Franco used to torment me, put white on my glasses. My eyesight is not great to start <laughs> off with. He used to go on these charter flights and I'd be sleeping, nodding off. And then all of a sudden, I wake up, God, I can't see what happened. I lose my eyesight on the plane. And I wake up and I had, you know, I had white in all of my glasses. I, didn't, I never was a great typist. One time we were in Chicago and we're in the um, Dallas Greens office typing my notes. And he was sitting there watching me. Pain, so you type my notes for three hours. Can, can I help you? No, Josh, I'm good. I'm good. I promise. And, and I had so many typos. I'm, that's part of the job I don't miss. I'm not a great typist, not great with the computer. So I got on it, got out at just the right time, Mike, for me. Try, try doing them in the visiting clubhouse in Shea after you've been all out all night uh, in New York and uh, have a little bit of a hangover and you got to sit and drink Tony Carullo's coffee and still type the game notes before the players come in, because I know if I didn't make it to the ballpark early, I wasn't going to get there. <laughs> Do you remember a guy used to be with the Pirates and in, in, in the, uh, the Padres? He used to pay, I don't want to mention his name, pay our interns to do his notes. He used to come right at game time. His, his first name, we came with a J. I don't want to give the guy's name, but I think he's still working some other league. But he used to pay, you know, I, I did one time, I did my all the notes together. And it really was a struggle. So finally, I gave up the front page. I kept the banning page. And got my last couple of years, you know, Ethan and God, rest so shattered to the notes. And I, that's one part of the job I don't miss. I like the relationships, BS with the writers. But I, I was not a great typist. And I'm still, I'm still not. But uh, I agree. It's, it's really changed. It's all, also a matter of fact now, you know, you, you know, a lot of teams now don't even give out the notes in the press box. I, I know this year a lot of the team did away with handing out the press guys. Is that true? I mean, they, yeah, a they couple of clubs handed. have, yeah. And, and this year, I think a couple of more are added to the list. It's, it's unfortunate. It's, you know, as long as I'm sitting in the chair, I sit in, there's going to be paper and there's going to be a media guide because, yeah. you know, guys like Gary Thorne, um, God love him. And, and I've got Denny Matthews here in Kansas city. And uh, you know, they, 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 you, you get into, we all get into a routine and we get into our habits and I don't visualize, and Gary, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't visualize um, a play-by-play guy going over to his computer in the middle of a game and looking up somebody's bio on the media guide and, and trying to scroll through it to find that one note that he was looking. And you can't run, you know, you can't run the yellow highlighter over your computer screen either. There's so many things that are good about having a media guide. Now, do we print the same numbers? No, we don't. And, you know, back to the old days, Remember, we had to carry those things everywhere before we shipped them. You know, you'd, you'd, we'd have those pilots' uh, suitcases or, or briefcases, I guess. 
And remember how, you know, your right arm's about two inches long and your left arm because you were carrying that thing full of media guides and books and record books and log sheets and all the yeah, stuff you had no to carry question. the ball. No <laughs> I have to tell one game note story on you. Yeah, I was buzzed downstairs one day when I was in San Diego, and I won't use the young man's name who's been a lifetime friend of mine, and, and I know you'll know who he is, but uh, I, I was called to come down because you always, you came to the ballpark so early. I was so PO'd at you because, you know, you'd come to the park at noon or whatever to work on your notes. And, you know, you made guys like me look bad because if I didn't show up until the first bus or second bus, you know, people were like, hey, Horowitz has been here since freaking noon. And I'm like, seriously, you know, and, and I like to walk around in the city and enjoy the towns that we go to, you know, back in the day when we were allowed to walk around and all that. But uh, one day I got a call from the visiting clubhouse guy in San Diego and he says, hey, come down. I'm about to mess with Jay. It's okay. So I came down. Next thing I heard were firecrackers going off underneath your seat. Well, while you were doing game notes. This particular guy, not only did that, he was complicit with my little left-handed reliever, John Franco. This guy, you know, Bob, good old Bob. He would Johnny. They put, used to put rats in my work bag. I got this <laughs> too early, and Bob, Bob was he. Bob tormented me, a good friend, but he did firecrackers under my seat. He put got, somehow got rats and put in my work bag. So Bob, Bob, every time he used to go to San Diego and, and Arizona, Bob always had a surprise for me. And and uh, I that was a, the thing of getting here too early. I used to get to know the used to get a free meal though, Mike. You know what? Whatever. But I but Bob Bob's a good friend. I used to leave my all my all the stuff around. I used to leave my binoculars around in the locker room a lot. <laughs> players that used to put they used to put white out. Not white, a black car on the inner part of my binoculars. I used to go up to the press box. Why, I, my eyesight's not great. Gary knows that, you know. So I we used to watch the binoculars, the game with binoculars, and and I when I took my binoculars down, I looked like Petey from a Little Rascal. <laughs> used to have rings around my eyes from a blackout. Or hey, would you get into a fight? And you know, David White used to do that to me all the time. And Franco and Dallas Green, you know, that's the the problem of getting to the locker room that early. You're, you leave yourself open for jokes, and I've been been played upon a couple of you know, couples in the years I've been with the Mets. Mike, oh, that's so good. That's such good stuff, Bob. You know, I was best man in his wedding, and another guy who I worked with with the Diamond or with the uh, Padres and the Diamondbacks. And a lesson to anybody listening: to this don't ask me to be your best man because both marriages ended up in divorce. So, <laughs> but, but I, you know, I used to like to go to the locker room early, Mike, just to ride with the manager, and you know. You get some private time with him and, and anything going on. I maybe something I wanted to tell him was once he got to the ballpark, you know, he's always involved with some meetings and you know, be, I used to be around and sometimes if an injury happened, something like at least you knew when the locker room opened, you knew what the hell was going on. And I, I used to like to be there and I you know, I used to go there and ride the bike. You couldn't tell from my physique, try to, you know, get a workout in before the players got there and I had a set routine through the whole year. Is that uh, you know I would leave at eleven thirty, like with Terry Collins and Willie Randall. We used to ride to the park all the time, and you know get there, and you know just have some private time, and maybe have a bike to eat in the manager's office. I always found it was good to do that. You know, when uh, all the riding the bike in the last year didn't really do much good, Mike. Cause I'm still overweight. You, you you were a jogger though too, weren't you? I used to jog with uh, Richie Griffin from. Uh, can't believe Richie's back in the game now. It's unbelievable. I know. Yeah, I know. Second, he went over the dark side. Had a second child. He came back. 
he had to say, my 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 best jogging story, Swanee. Remember the bridges in Pittsburgh? Oh, do I? That's why I brought it up. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, bastard. So, <laughs> so I'm jogging one day. I'm jogging one day with, with a bullpen. German Shepherd comes out of it. So I start bleeding from behind. They take me to the hospital. I get two rabies shots. You know, so I'm all banged up. So I get to the locker room down there in, in, in Pittsburgh, and all the guys start barking like dogs when I walk in the <laughs> locker room. That that night, Bob Murphy, one of our announcers, say, Jay, I heard you had a little problem. You want to do a little squat with you? Yeah, sure, Bob, why not? He says, tell me what happened. I say, Bob, you know what? It really happened. It's none of the usual. I was jogging. I got bit by a dog. I'm Jewish. Dog who bit me was a German shepherd. So German shepherd bit the Jew. So, so that I don't think anything of that. When I got back to the press box, my phone started to ring. The people were, "What the hell are you doing?" I mean, you know, anti-Semitic. Well, the dog is actually German. So, what am I going to do? Tony, were you there at that time? I was there. Yeah, I mean, people think I missed. I was barking like. Oh. Barsi, Will Jay, tell us about the dog. Will was a German Shepherd, Bob, and. The head of the bench was not real happy with me, but whoa. Was <laughs> That's why my, my other jog is, what's the park across from Miami Stadium, the, the racetrack? There's a racetrack right across from Miami Stadium. Oh, uh, uh, Gulfstream? Oh, yeah, so I somehow got the Gulfstream. And I was running around the trap, and I couldn't get out. They locked the gates. So <laughs> I, I, I was actually almost got to the park just almost uh, – Right almost at game time, and I didn't have a cell phone at the time. Finally, the gates open, and uh, who, who's the, uh, the clubhouse guy? He's the son of a scout. Hughes, Rock, Rock, oh, Rock, right? uh, Rock Hughes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Rock Kent came and got me with his car, you know. So uh, I don't jog anymore. You know, a couple of years ago, when I broke my ankle, um, you know, I came back from a road trip in New York, and I fell in a pothole, and I broke my ankle, and they took me to the hospital, and uh, so my jog now I probably just ride a a, a stationary uh, you know you know bike now, but I, my my jogging days are, are are long over. Please please tell me the jogging. Uh, there's a jogging chapter in your new book, or if not, there's going to be another book. It's it, it's intermediately through the uh, through the book. I mean, I, I you know I had like I had no idea I was going to write this book. I didn't want to do anything to hurt anybody. It wasn't going to be a tell-all book. I wanted to make people laugh and. Listen, I'm no, you know, I'm going to be 75 in August. You know, I don't know how many more years I'm going to be doing this. Listen, let me just put down some funny stories, make some people laugh, and you know, you know, I'm always not been afraid to make myself the butt of jokes and to do that, and you know, and whatever happens, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I wanted to have a chapter about Shannon in the book, which I did. I know you were very fond of her too, and uh, yeah. you know, talk about her courage and you know how, how she battled through four years of cancer. So that was the whole thing, you know. Hopefully. People who know me will know it's you know will get a laugh out of it and get make some yucks, especially in you know, this crazy time. That's so hopefully does a look good. Maybe put a smile on some people's faces. And there you have an idea of what you might read if you buy a copy of Mister Met. Jay, tell tell me what uh, tell me how sales go because I'm getting egged on pretty bad to write one myself down the road. Yeah, I, yeah I'm up to nine books now, Mike. Nine. I'm hoping to get double figures by the weekend. Um, that's, that's, I bought eight of them. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's funny. They say about, uh, you know, you said about how you had to be nice in it. 
And I've had people say, you got to write a book. And I says, if I write a book, I said, better sell enough copies that I can go live on an island because I'm going to have to buy the damn island. Yeah. Because ain't nobody going to ever want to talk to me again if I write a book. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to tell another story because you brought up Rich Griffin. And you may or may not remember this, but uh, it, was, uh, it was when Faye Vincent was our commissioner. And we were at the uh, one of the hotels in Scottsdale for uh, the business meetings or winter meetings. I think it was the business meetings, fall business meetings. And, you know, when Rich and I got together back in the old days, uh, there might have been a drink or two had. Uh, one of the two of us was not married at the time. And Rich has been married for a really long time, so it wasn't him. <laughs> but we had uh, we had a few drinks at one of the functions that evening. And we saw you and Rich and I hijacked a golf cart and we decided we were going to deliver Faye Vincent to the party. I and remember. You, was it Kansas City? No. No, we were in, we were in Scottsdale. Oh, Scottsdale. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. Yeah, yeah. We, we saw you outside the lobby and Rich and I looked at each other and it was almost like telepathy. We both knew what we were thinking and we both had the same idea at the same time. We said, okay, we just got to steal a golf cart because the commissioner went everywhere in a golf cart. You know, he, he had some physical issues and he, everywhere he went was in a golf cart. I said, Jay, let's go get in the golf cart. We're stealing this uh, uh, golf cart from the uh, from the Bellman. And we got in. The key was in it. So we got in and took off and loaded you up in the back and drove you back into the party. Uh, it was around the pool, around the hotel. And we drove you back and delivered the commissioner to the party. Yeah, I actually met him once. I mean, more than once time. I have, I, he's the only guy who's a bigger head than mine. He's got like a runway head. Like it goes straight out. And one time I was in Philadelphia and a guy, a young kid mistook me for Faye and said, Mr. Vince, you want to sign the autograph? And I said, listen, I'm not Faye Vince. I don't feel comfortable doing this. And the father goes, that's what's wrong with baseball. Commissioner of baseball won't sign an autograph for a kid. I said, bub, I'm not the commissioner. I don't feel comfortable doing this. So finally I saw it. I called him. The next day, I said, I wanted to tell you, unfortunately, somebody mistook me for you, and I didn't want to get in an argument. I signed the guy. So if somebody calls complaints, they couldn't read your writing, and that was me. But he, really, if you look at his head, it goes like out like an airplane runway. It goes whoop, straight out, and Mike goes straight up. So the only guy with a oh. head to me was Bruce Bochy. Bruce, uh, I, well, I, I know you had Bochy. I had Bochy, but I was yeah, never playing for the large He broke skull. his helmet one time, Mike. I put his head on. And he used to call me Headley. I, I put his head, I actually cracked his helmet. One of my prouder achievements in life. <laughs> we, we had, we had Boach in San Diego and this story's taken on so many different aspects of it, but I, I the, here's the true story. Uh, Boach didn't hit a lot of big home runs in his career. You know, I mean, he was a backup most of his career, but uh he hit a walk-off against Nolan Ryan, of all people, in the 11th inning of a game. Now, anybody who's listening to this right now says, wait a second, Nolan Ryan pitched in the 11th inning? Yeah, he pitched the first 10 also. You know, that that's that's network news in today's game. But he came out, pitched the 11th, and Boach took him right down the line in uh, Jack Murphy Stadium for a home run and walked it off. And after the game was over with, everybody was celebrating, and Boach was one of the last ones to get up in the field after grabbing his gear, or get up in the clubhouse after grabbing his gear. And a couple of the guys, I think Greg Nettles and somebody else, had already taken his helmet, and there was a six-pack of beer on ice in his helmet sitting on his chair when he got to the clubhouse. 
they'd already iced it down the whole bit. And it was the same helmet that you had because Boach had to bring his helmet everywhere he went. He, he only had one, one helmet his entire career, and he had to have it repainted for every team he played for. Yeah, he's a, I mean, I actually put it on. He, I, I told him I had a bigger hand, and I put it on. It was like a little crack in, in the uh, – in in a in a in a in a, in a world seat in the back of the head, Mike. Go back to two fifteen. What do you think would have happened if in, if we had one game one game one? You know, we we brutal. That was such a you know. I think I really thought we had a good chance, and we just you know, you guys were were strong. And you just uh, you know, capitalized. We just couldn't hold the lead in the ninth inning, and uh, that was that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know. Look, ironically, today a story came out from Sandy Alderson um, regarding, you know, if Alex Gordon does, because it made headlines in Kansas City, if Alex Gordon didn't hit a home run in the ninth inning of game one, the Mets win the World Series. And if Randy Johnson hadn't been born, he wouldn't have won 300 games or struck out, you know, nearly 5,000 people. So, I mean, there's a lot of things about the word if, and I'll try to keep this uh, – family safe here with the word if but yeah I mean Alex's home run was huge it tied the game and it, it did make a huge difference but you know if uh if Murphy makes the play on the ground ball in game four uh it's different or in right. game five it's different it's it's just you know there's so many things that take place on the field I will say this Jay and you know we've said this a lot internally here but I don't mind saying it out loud if if we don't win game five um we know that it's DeGrom and Syndergaard and we get home. And, you know, it's always nice to go home and play and you only have to win one game to the other guys having to win two. But we would have had to beat DeGrom and Syndergaard. And you, you, that's a tall you, task. And we know, you know it's the biggest the big, For me, the biggest if really changed so many people's lives. Eighth inning um, game four? Game four. No, game five. Um we won nothing lead going to the bottom of the top of the ninth inning. Matt Harvey's lights out. They show the dugout. They want to take him out. Uh, and, and Matt convinces Terry to go back out. And the rest is history. You know, Terry, too, that's why Terry's one of my favorite guys. He never backed off from the decision. He felt he wanted to give Matt the chance and, you know, to pitch. It, it didn't work out for us. But, I mean, you know, for eight innings, he was just as dominating the pitcher as you've ever seen. And, you know, a couple of walks and, you know, how many people's lives changed, you know, from that? You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, was, Matt was, was, you know, he battled back. It was one walk in, in Hosmer's, you know, it was one walk in Hosmer's line drive to left. It was just barely over Conforto's glove. I mean, it was, it was a, uh, I mean, so many things. And I've, you know, I've watched the game a couple of times since. And, and you know, there were so many variables in that game that could have turned it one way or the other. And, and yeah, Harvey going out there for the ninth. But you know, I I understand Terry's mindset, and 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 Matt, you know, Matt was pretty intense, you know, from what I saw. Yeah. I, I didn't see it that night, but you know, later I didn't know about it really that he had begged his way back in. And then uh, you know, as the night goes on and the game is over, and you start reading accounts of the game, you realize, holy cow, you know, that it was his idea basically to go back out for the ninth. But there's so many things that happen that are just just one swing, one play. You know, Hosmer scoring from third on the ground ball to David. Yeah, um, it was crazy. You know, nobody yeah. in their wildest dreams thought that uh, he could do that. And, you know, Lucas's throw. And, you know, I didn't know Lucas do it at the time. I just know he made a bad throw. And then two years later, he's playing for us for a couple of seasons. And, 
you know, no nicer man ever put on a uniform. Such a quiet giant, isn't he, Mike? Yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's, he just, and that, that really scarred him for the next year or so. I mean, every question he got was, what about the throw? What about the throw? And, you know, finally got to talking to him. That really did scar him a little bit. And, you know, he, he was a gentle giant. I mean, he really is a quite, you wouldn't think if you look at the guy, six foot five, 250, 260, but really quiet guy and gentle, you know, gentle guy. Like, how many rings do you have? Two rings or three? Well, let's, let's, let's count. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a, uh, I have a, the World Series ring from here, uh, World Series ring from Arizona, championship rings. Uh, the American League Championship in uh, uh, 14 here. Uh, the National League Championship in 84 in San Diego, my first year in San Diego. And I have them downstairs. And it's so funny because when you look at the San Diego ring, it looks like I graduated from San Diego High School because what the rings were in 1984 compared to what rings look like now, it's it's ridiculous. And then I have... I believe Mr. Thorne might have been around for this ride, but uh, if I remember right, 2013 WBC, and yes. we won the WBC title, and little old uh, gringo here, Swanee, who doesn't speak a word of Spanish other than the drive through a Taco Bell, <laughs> somehow ended up the Dominican PR guy and, and ended up winning the whole enchilada. So uh, Moises Alou is really cool. We were playing spring training, and uh, I get a call on my phone. I look down, it's Moises Alou. I'm like, what's he want? So I answer it. He goes, where are you? I said, I'm in my press box. And he says, well, I'm out by your bullpen. So I walked out there and he handed me uh, this just ridiculously gorgeous, giant hubcap looking thing. You know, it looked like a, the old uh, things you had on your, you know, hood ornaments on your car back in the day, back when my dad was alive and driving a car with a hood ornament. But uh, but it's it's nice. Don't get me wrong. And, and I'm proud of it because uh, it was three weeks, three and a half weeks of really hard work. And can't thank the guys enough. Uh, you got a guy that came through there, uh, Robinson Cano. Um, what a sweetheart of a guy, you know, to get to know these guys and their different circumstances and playing for their country. It's a whole different lifestyle. Let me interrupt you just cause I, I mean, uh, I've got to ask you this because I, I know having been around both of you and in the business, how do you balance all these years where you know so much about what's going on around not only your ball club, but around the leagues. How do you, how have you come to make the decisions on what you can say, what you can release and talk about and what's got to be kept behind closed doors? How have you done that? You, you want to go first, Mike? Or, or? Doesn't matter. Uh, I think we're both going to say about the same thing, but fire away and then I'll follow up. My my other thing, Mike, I it's a matter of trust. And my whole thing was I never wanted to lie, especially in my market, any market really. I I wanted the people around me. And for me, you deal with three people. You deal with the players, the media, and, and, and ownership. And you work for the ownership, but you, the players have to trust you. The media's gotta trust you. Once you get caught in a lie, you're a dead man. And I, I just tried to balance it out. You know, maybe uh, I, I don't think I lied or I can, don't think I leaked anything in my time there, but I just tried to balance it out. Maybe sometimes I didn't tell the whole truth. I just tried to balance it out with knowing who you work for, knowing the market you're in, and just to keep the people's trust who you work with. It's once you betray your trust, you know, if you, if you 
of you, you tell something, one of the GM tells you, it gets in the paper, he's going to know, you know, my, my, always, my conscience always told me, wouldn't let, wouldn't let me do that. Maybe sometimes you'd get away with it and, and do stuff, but I, 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 my, mainly my conscience was my guide, and I tried not to betray my conscience and not to betray the people I work with. That was my philosophy through the years. Okay. I, I can't say it a heck of a lot better. It's, you know, you have to have transparency. I think the biggest thing you have to weigh is when you have information that's proprietary information, um, you have to weigh in your mind what can get out and what should not get out and, and understand. And I think a lot of guys who do what we do, Jay, forget who they work for at times. And, right, and again, I feel like I'm firing a dart. I, I feel bad to a point that I'm firing a dart at, at our brethren. But sometimes they're so protective of the players that they don't, they, they screen them off and they feel like they work for the players because the players intimidate them. You know, to use an old line from a thousand years ago, they put their pants on the same way we do. They're, they're humans. And if you can get the human relationship with them, knowing that they understand you still work for the ball club, but you have to understand where your paycheck's coming from. It's not coming right. from the player. It's coming from ownership and management. And so if, if, you're honest with the player and explain to them. And, and, you know, there's many a time that I've come up to a player and I've said, look, um, I'm going to tell you when I don't think you need to do this one, but when I'm in your face and I think you have to do something, we got to do it. Right. And you know what? They, they appreciate that honesty. So the transparency there, you know, it, it just, there's so many things that happen in the course of a day in the course of a season um, I have a really good relationship with my general manager as you've had with all your general managers over the years. And one of the keys to that is if something arises, if there's a crisis, I am a big believer, you know, I'll hear somebody say, well, you know, and managers are really good at saying this, you know, if, if somebody's tweaked something and we can hide it for a couple of days, you know, let's try to hide it and everything. And, and I'm going to be the, bad guy in the room and say, I don't think we should hide it because X player tells X teammate who tells X teammate who's not afraid to tell beat writer A or beat writer B that so-and-so is tweaked something. And then it gets out and you see it in the paper and everybody's like, how the hell did that end up in the paper? And I've always been one of those guys that I try to hit it. I try to hit it head on. Let's go out. Let's give them the information they need. Let's don't give them all the information. Right. Because exactly. maybe there's an MRI pending. Maybe there's, Maybe there's still hope. Maybe whatever the injury is or something, it, it, it might just be a four or five or six day thing. And he doesn't have to go on the DL or the, the IL as, as we change. See, that's old school DL, but it's the IL. And, and uh, um, but be honest, because I, I think you and I, and there are many others in our, in our industry, I think we have a really good relationship with both sides. And, and that includes our media because, they know we're not going to screw them. You know, we're going to do everything we can to help them do their jobs. But there's days where we're going to have to go. I can't say anything right now. Right. You know? Right. But but I, at, while I'm saying that, I'm in the other side of the room telling our folks, the sooner we get this out, the better I'm going to sleep at night because I'm not going to sleep knowing what I know. And if it blows up and ends up, ends up in the paper, you know what's going to happen? You're going to come to me and go, how the hell did that end up in the paper? You know? Okay. And one quick story to, to piggyback on that. 1990. I'm Gary. Were you still, were you still there in 90 with us? I was I there forget. with us. Yep. 
So uh, before one of Dwight starts, Vince Coleman is swinging a golf club in the locker room. <laughs> he hits Dwight in the shoulder, and he goes to the training room. And he can't pitch. So one of our executives at the time said, "Well, we're just going to tell him he's got a sore shoulder." But and I say, I say the particular player wasn't really popular in the clubhouse. It's not going to hold. It's not, it's well, we're not going to. We're going to say he had a sore shoulder. Next day in the New York Post, have a picture of Vince Coleman swinging a golf club, hitting Dwight's shoulder. Goes to exactly what Mike said. You, you just can't lie, and in, in, in anybody is going to come around and bite you. And once you start lying, that nobody's going to believe what you say anymore. You know. Well, and, that's and, that's the key. I mean, our, our reputations are as much at stake in anything. And and again, I'll tell you one, and and this will hit home with you because of when it occurred. But the 15 World Series, um, Edison Volquez lost his dad just before the game. But I know for a fact, because I was in our clubhouse and I was in the dugout when Volke went out to warm up, that he didn't know. Now, anybody who's lost a parent, you know what your reaction is. You know where your heart is. You know how you're going to feel. And I didn't have to pitch game one of the World Series. But I know what my emotions were the day I was called and said my dad passed. And I applied that to that night and I saw Volke in the clubhouse an hour before the game he's sitting there with Cueto and a couple other guys and they're yucking it up and the music's loud and they're laughing I mean Volke wasn't one of those starters like we've all had that on the day he pitches you don't even say boot to him I had Randy Johnson trust me you don't even say boot to him you'll find a putter up your ass but if if uh you know with certain pitchers they like to have fun before a game well Volke um was having fun so I knew he didn't know and it leaked out just before the game that his dad had passed out on social media. Another reason to hate social media, but it leaked out. And somebody, who I, I will remain nameless, but I got into it with him a little bit, said, yeah, Volke already knows. I, I know he knows. I've already, I've already written it. See, he doesn't know. And this all goes about the trust thing. Ken Rosenthal with Fox is texting me from the tunnel down by the dugout saying, we got to go with this. We got to go with this. I said, you're not going with it. And I called the Fox executives and I said, guys, Edinson Volquez does not know. And if he goes back in a batting cage or goes in the clubhouse at the half inning and when we're hitting and Joe Buck says on TV, what an amazing performance by a guy who lost his dad today. What do you think the reaction is going to be by Edinson Volquez? So we sat on it, sat on it, sat on it. And I promised Ken Rosenthal and I promised the Fox executives as soon as Volke knows you can go with it. And I sat in a clubhouse. They brought Ensign in after he came out from six innings. I was there when he told, when his wife and our general manager told him that uh, his dad had passed away late afternoon. Volke flipped out as only I know a son can do when they're found out their dad has passed. And then he started getting his head back together and saying, okay, what do I have to do? I have to travel. We got to get, we got to get a plane. We got to do this guy and all that. And I text Ken Rosenthal. I said, now you can go with it. And that's trust. And that's trust that we built over the years. That's the only reason I told that story was because they could have burned me in so many ways. And they knew not to because I'd been fair with them in so many ways. And that, that's the trust you build with these people over the years. I agree, Mike, 100%. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for doing this. All right, really appreciate Be safe, it. guys. You too. Well, fun. Jay Horowitz and Mike Swanson joining us here. And that concludes another chapter of our Sports Rivals. To learn more about this and other episodes, we invite you to log on to the Sports Rivals.
www.thinkingbusiness.com. And you can join the conversation with questions and suggestions for future shows. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're at the Sports Rivals. Twitter at Rivals underscore podcast. And on Facebook by searching for the Sports Rivals podcast. Thank you all. And remember, it is rivalries that make the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.